0: You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you. Conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is a very special episode recorded long ago now. I think I recorded this about two months ago, uh, shortly after recording an episode of uh, Alan Davies As As Yet Untitled uh, for the Dave television channel here in the UK uh, with uh, John Thompson and Matt Lucas and Sarah Kendall. And, of course, Alan Davies and myself, uh, I basically tapped up the uh, <laughs> the cast members and, uh, and blanked them for the podcast. Matt Lucas was kind enough to come round to my actual flat. Uh, for those of you that don't know Matt, he is one half of uh, Lucas and Walliams, uh, a double, but not that they were ever referred to as, as that. But uh, as a double act, they were pretty much a powerhouse. Of British sketch comedy, some of you will know him from uh, the role of George Dawes on uh, Shooting Stars, and we talk about that at uh, at sort of embarrassingly nerdy length. I I, I really pressed about that because I, I absolutely love George Dawes. Uh, we also talk about Little Britain, which became huge uh, in the UK and in the states as well, uh, and we talk about Come Fly With Me, Matt's own uh, solo project Pompidou recently, uh, and the critical reception to that, and, and how he dealt with it, um, and lots of other stuff besides. Uh, it, it's a it's a crack episode i'm sorry i've held on to it for so long i think i was saving it for a special occasion but what more special occasion could there be than playing it into your ears my lovely little Comcom people um there's bundles of other things to say i've just come back from la clang but i'll tell you all about that in a minute this is mr matt lucas thank you so much for coming your um how long do you spend in london you you live in L.A.? I
1: live, uh, yeah, well, I I've, I've, I do now, but um, I, but I also have a small place in London, so I just go back and forth, and I'll go where the work is, really, like most people. Okay. But I tend to do my writing in um, California because it's just a bit quieter there, and, um, you know, I'll sit in a cafe or I'll just be in my um, little office that I've got there, and my dogs are there, and it's lovely. Because cause over there, I'm just like... That dude who was in Bridesmaids for five minutes.
0: So um, I get I get really beautifully patronised out there.
1: Yes, quite a lot.
0: And people sort of. Oh, you mean by industry people? No, who... no, no.
1: By just people going. Um, oh well, we hope you get other things and things like that. And uh, you know, and that's fine. And it and it's very nice of them to say it. But um, I, I I never went to. LA to try and be a star out there. I I sort of couldn't really care less. I feel very lucky to be working here. And so for me, it was just about, um, uh, well, my partner died. So I just, I wanted to just have a fresh start. And also I just, it's nice and warm out there and I've got really rubbish asthma. Mm. And I just always get chest infections in the winter months Mm, here. So it was kind of practical and emotional And then, um, and it's just quiet where I live and I can just, I just sort of, um, you know, uh, sit quietly and play the piano and sit with my dogs and like
0: an old man, (laughs) really, quite happily like an old man just writing. Your eyes lit up when you said like an old man, in a kind of way that's like, someone was, um, in fact it was Nish yesterday when he got home, he was telling me about a comic he'd been working with in New Zealand called Steve Wrigley, who has got it sussed. Um, and apparently this is all sort of second hand reported sort of thing but unlike the vast majority of people working in comedy who are ambitious and striving and trying to just try and get in the, up the ice wall sort of thing um, Steve apparently spends two months of the year touring in New Zealand that's where he's from makes all his money there from touring very successful and then goes to New York where he and his wife have a house and spends ten months of the year playing with his children wow and that you know I kind of heard that, that sounds- and went that sounds great Yeah. am I an idiot for not Doing that, I mean, obviously there's a sort of resources issue that, that I might have that, that he doesn't seem to. But I do like the idea that that you're. I mean, are you still striving for things professionally? Or yeah, well, are you I quite a, happy to 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 just kind of noodle. I'm striving for things, but I'm striving for different
1: things. So I have a, a production company here, and um, uh, and it's doing nicely, called John Stanley Productions, and and we've had. Um, <laughs> two series on this year and we're about to make another two series. So for a a young, small company, um, that's going really nicely. And so so that brings me back here sometimes for that kind of business because laughably I'm the CEO of that company. (laughs) Um, Don't ask me what CEO means. Um, And so uh, sometimes it's slightly, yes, it's sort of a different type of business. And when I'm over there... Um I just do the odd bit I I did like a bit on community a bit on portlandia just odd shows that I like um occasionally the opportunity comes up to do okay. a bit on this and a bit on that
0: And that's presumably is that then coming to you because you're you and going we you know like the makers of one of those shows will think we yes get yes so I'm experience. not very proactive
1: I'm I'm okay. not often calling up my agent and saying where's the work because actually I'm just very happy making shows in the UK so I'll write them in the US and then come and shoot them and edit them in the UK. So it's just a kind of half and half. Maybe I'm over there a little bit more. Some years I'm over here a little bit more. But the production company has a small office as well out there. Okay. So, we're, you know, we're looking to expand. But I'm, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a quieter lot. You know, I made a decision five or six years ago just to take a step back from, you know, the public eye and not be not be too exposed and not sort of, you know, because you you can be too much Mm. in the papers and people just get bored of you. And also, I I, I never got off on going to big public events or anything like that. It just doesn't really interest me. So I'm happy to do it to support the work I do. But but, um, I rarely go to premieres or anything like that. It's it's not something I, I sort of... Um I'm usually much happier just going to the multiplex on a weekend with my friends
0: than I am walking the red carpet. Mm. Uh, can you uh, can you walk down the street in Britain without people shouting catchphrases at you? No. To it, it'd be disingenuous to say that I could. And how does that make you feel? Do you you I, don't seem like someone that would like the attention particularly or Well um uh, I, it, you know, it's nice
1: if you've done something that other people like and certainly I, I wanted it for a long time. Uh, and, um, I'm grateful for it. You know, the fact that it's, you know, that I've been able to make a living doing comedy because when I started, uh, anyone who saw my early act would never have thought I would make a living doing comedy. <laughs> okay. And, uh, so I'm grateful for that. And that's one of the side effects of it, you know. But it's not the thing that I was, I sort of, it wasn't the thing that drove me on. I never thought, you know, when I started doing stand-up, you know, my ambition was to be paid to do a 20-minute set. Mm. That was the big thing. And I think a lot of people listening to this will identify with
0: that. So anything else that happened really was a bonus. So let's let's stay with that with the, the young Matt Lucas doing stand-up for the first time. Can you do you remember what your first set was? Or were you doing were you doing absurd stuff? Were you doing George Dawes? Yeah, I was doing a, a a character called Sir Bernard Chumley. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. And
1: um uh I created this character when I was about sixteen and it was inspired a little bit by um sort of old fruity gentleman that I'd come across in the theatre because I'd been a, uh, a child actor, and um, uh, also a little bit uh, by a character that was in uh, Harry Enfield did this brilliant um, uh, spoof documentary in the late eighties called Norbert Smith: A Life. And I never
0: saw that. I don't. Think, I don't fantastic. think I've even heard
1: the title. Yeah, Jeff Posner made it, and it had it was a spoof Southbank show. Okay. And there was a character in it that wasn't played by Harry Enfield called Sir Donald Stuffy. And it was uh, a spoof of Donald Sinden, I think. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that gave me a kernel. And I know it sounds weird to sort of sit here and go, oh, yeah, that character that I used to do was slightly based on this thing I'd seen on telly. But it, oddly enough, when you're 16, it would never occur to you that yes. you shouldn't do that. Yes. It's just like, yeah, I, I saw that thing and I really liked it. So I went and did it yes you don't even you don't even think about it um so but that uh, there was a bit of that, and there were a bit of some of the old people that i'd that i'd uh yeah that I'd come across in the theater and um and then i suppose a bit of Vic and bob uh and just general absurdism, yeah, and it was a very strange routine, and it would either storm or die, and there was rarely
0: anything in between. I love watching acts like that. Some of my favourite acts to watch. And I'll, 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 I will enjoy watching them as much if they're storming or if they're dying. I'll feel bad for them if they're dying. But there's something about, I don't know if you know Ed Axel. I'm not sure. I mean, Ed Axel is a British actor. Um, an older guy, I think he must be in his early 40s. And he is just, you've never saw or maybe you have. seen Just that, that situation of a room of people who are killing themselves laughing and people are actually angry because they don't get it. And that that split I think is fascinating. Who who were you when you brought yourself to it? What were you? How were you coming to comedy? What did you want to get out of I it was, when I you was, started? I was an eighteen year old,
1: angry, um, overweight, underhaired, haired, mm. um, i.e. bald, um, scared homosexual at a time when gay was just synonymous with AIDS and death, and. Um, a middle-class Jewish boy and my, I'd lost my hair when I was six and my parents had divorced acrimoniously when I was 10 and my dad had gone to prison when I was 12 and I'd struggled with being gay and uh, also struggled with my faith and all of that. And so I was sort of angry and felt a need to express myself. But, you know, when I was 16, I remember hanging out with all the cool kids at school and, you know, we would have parties on a Saturday night and there was one kid's house we would go to and um, everyone would smoke pot and drink, even though we were 15, 16 years old. And the guys were all getting off with the girls and it was the kind of good-looking, cool, sporty crowd. And I remember arriving at one of the parties maybe an hour later than everyone else and I said, everyone, you have got to watch this. And... um I went over to the TV, which was playing MTV at the time, which was a big deal that they, these people had Sky, yes, know, or BSB or whatever. It yeah. was. And I put in a video, and I sat down, and I was screaming with laughter, and it was uh, Charlie Chaplin, Modern Times, and no part of me could conceive that the other people in the room that this was <laughs> this was a bit of a party pooper, you know, that this was like um, uh, you know uh, a bit of an erection killer, and and. Um, <laughs> I but was that, expecting it to be something like Vic and Bob. No. Or oh, I love Vic and Bob. I love Vic and Bob. I was but obsessed they, with them. But but yeah, I just love Chaplin. I couldn't, you know. And everyone's like, "What the hell is this?" And I was going, "No, no, no, wait, 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 wait." And and I mean, it's radical that film. There's a bit where he accidentally takes cocaine at the middle early on. It's a really extraordinary film, and it, I think it's Chaplin's best. But but in that, you know, that it absolutely says like how off I was, you yes. know, so, so, uh, the idea of doing comedy was me seeking validation because I, I got sort of torn to pieces for that at school. People were like, this guy's sad, I suppose you would say now, what a sad yeah, case yeah, or a yeah. uh, sort of, um, bit of an outcast, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, I don't know how you would say it, but, um, like you get ostracized for doing something like that, Absolutely. frankly, at that age. Yes. And, um, uh, so comedy was a way of, of me, uh, Ben Miller said this great thing, which David Walliams used to quote, uh, also, which was that, you know, being a comedian is a great way of controlling other people's laughter yes. at you. Yes. And I, and I, and I think that's what it was. You know, people used to uh, take the piss out of me all the time. You, you lose your hair when you're six. Mm. Um, and you know, you walk down the street as a kid and other kids come and pull your hat off. And throw it in a puddle. So, so this was, it, I suppose it was my, re- I don't know if it was my revenge, but it was just my way of sort of justifying myself. It yes. was like, well, I, maybe I'm not attractive to you, but I can maybe make you laugh. So that, that's what was going on in my head as a stand-up, really. And, and this routine was, you know, I never felt I could be, you know, because I, I went on this course that Ivor Dembina rang. rang. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I was 18 years old. And, and it was in the, um, Jack, uh, it was in Archway yeah. somewhere. And, um, uh, or yeah, I think so. And and, um, uh, and I met Paul Putner on this course, who, who's been in many of the shows that I've done uh, with David over the years. And, um, and Ivor made us be ourselves on stage. And I, and, I, and I always thought it was much more honest to be a character because I never felt comfortable being myself on stage back then. Um, because I, you know, at 18, I wasn't ready to come out, although I did come out about a year later to my friends, but at that age, I wasn't ready. And, uh, and, you know, the whole ethos was, you know, that, oh, you know what it's like when, Mm -hmm. you know, it's that kind of comedy. And actually, I felt very different to everyone else. And I felt it yes. would have been disingenuous. It would have been a lie for me to go, huh, you know what it's like when? Because I, like I say, I didn't feel that I had the common experiences. Yes,
0: I... there's some universal sort of thing. It's very, you put yourself in a position of vulnerability, I think, when you say to an audience, you know, when you uh, catch your own glance in the mirror and have a bit of a chat with yourself. And there is a real risk that they're all going to go, no, you're weird. and
1: Yeah, and I felt also that if I came out as myself... You know, the fact that I had no hair and then I'd have to do a load of material about that. And I just, I just, I was over it. You know, I was 18 by then and I'd lost yeah. my hair when I was six. It was old to me. And uh, so I, I thought, uh, it, for me, it felt much more, it felt less dishonest to actually do a character. And then I think there was a lot of me in that character. The, the, I mean, Bob Mortimer said I was the angriest comic he'd ever seen because there was a rage in me and it would come out on stage.
0: And in what kind of a way? Um, well, I what
1: I decided to do was heckle myself before others heckled me. So, so the character had a kind of Tourette's to okay. him, which which in in a slightly different form, I suppose, is a bit like George Doors. these weird voices and non sequiturs and, and okay. uh, sudden explosive releases of yeah of, of energy and okay. uh, strange quotes from films or fictional you know things I was just making up or. But, but I would, you know, if somebody, if somebody, you know, heckled me and I, I you know, I was talking in this very, you know, voice like that and telling these stories and uh, as his character. And then if somebody heckled me, I'd go, you fucking cunt <laughs> like that. And then just go straight back into. This oh, my sort of God. Thing. So people would just, it was very strange. And then I would like after, you know, 15 minutes, I would wear a wig and I'd worn this wig as a child. Uh, after my hair fell out, and I would just scratch my head and move the wig in the process, but just carry on as if nothing had happened. It was a very, very strange act, and I think watching it, you know, there were probably half a dozen good gags in it, actually, like, funny jokes, but probably only half a dozen. And I think watching it, you would have thought, oh well, well, this guy's an interesting performer and has an interesting energy. I don't think you would necessarily have thought, uh, or still wouldn't think I was a great comedian. Now, it's interesting because now, you know, I'm 41 now and, and and I went on, I met you on that Alan Davis show mm-hmm. and I went on uh, QI. I did two episodes of QI recently for the first time. And actually, as myself, I'm much more relaxed now. And I think you sort of just don't care what other people think of you as you get older. It's a really good, healthy thing, you know.
0: What's a healthy thing? To, to let go of it? Yeah,
1: yeah, to not really give a shit
0: and is it is it that you that you have let go let go and that you don't care anymore or is is there some sense that you've pro- I sometimes think with comics that sometimes we you prove what you have to prove or like there was there was a moment I had a couple of years ago when I went, do you know what I think on some level i'm still trying to do this to get back at people at school and I suddenly went they don't ever think of me do you know what i mean and there, there's some sort of like uh, it was like a combination of that and i I think i've I've, I was trying to prove something to kids at school, and A, they don't care, and B, I've proven it many times over.
1: Yeah, I think I was. I think I definitely had that same kind of motivation at the beginning, and then I didn't have that throughout the Little Britain years. It wasn't. I, I wasn't fueled by that. And now, I, I, I'm. It's it, my main uh, um, aim really is to. Uh, just to to be a bit of an artist, which sounds really wanky, and and I, you know, and kind of unforgivable. And there are plenty of things. <laughs> it's not at all. Not. Well, there's plenty of things I've done are completely artless. So I mean, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not trying to be grand when I say it, but it's a genuine thing. I just did a a series, you know, on BBC Two called Pompidou and you know, it, it had half a million viewers only, and and, mm. and 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 actually, a lot of the reviews were were, you know, very bad mm. for it. But, uh, you know, I'll stand by it as like, no, I I wanted to make this show and I made it. And it is the show I wanted to make. And Mm -hmm. some people love it and some people, you know, it's the absolute definition of what they don't want to see on television ever. But it is still, I still was, maybe I should have been more commercially minded when I made it, you know, because I I made a whole series in gibberish, but I Mm. I, I wasn't. I I went entirely on instinct. And like I say, some people love it and some people hate it. Um, But I think you have to balance that. I had this manager very briefly in America for about a year Um, and uh, it was, we parted completely amicably, amicably, but I just, I just thought that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't what I was looking for. But he used to say this thing, which a lot of people say in America is they say one for the man, one for the soul.
0: Yes, okay.
1: So that's... Do your big
0: blockbuster and take yeah. it, and then you can do your artistic project. Yeah, right? yeah.
1: And I think he's, I think there is a truth to that, you know. Mm. So so the next thing I do probably needs to be more commercial than the last thing I did.
0: Yes, it was interesting. I saw uh, some of Pompidou. Yeah. And I have to say the bit that just had me crying with laughter was uh, Pompidou sat by the river uh, and he was considering, or I think his butler was offering him figgy a comic book to read about Figgy. Yeah. And there's just a moment where you decide not to read Figgy and then to mock him, you you do an impression of what Figgy does in the comic book, which is just to go, well, Figgy. <laughs> I mean, I just thought it was brilliant. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I, loved, I loved that. I found it difficult to get behind. I wasn't quite sure who, you, who it was aimed at.
1: Yeah no and I and I and I think I think uh, yes and I think that's the 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 problem really was 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 the positioning of it um, and I think what I really like that series but I think what I should have done is probably done that character in sketch form first so yes. people just go oh he's that guy yes. and then when you do a series people go oh yeah it's that guy I like that character Or I don't I will watch it or I won't okay. uh, I just think it was a big ask of the audience to go because the thing straight is straight
0: you know, into six half hours. Yeah. Because I think, I think know. the
1: thing is that, um, you know, people know me for the stuff I did with David. So they, they used to seeing me play different characters and they used to, you know, the rude stuff. And, and I made something very family orientated and mm. I think, I think, um, you know, people weren't ready, but oddly enough in other countries where they may not be as aware of little Britain, I think people are receiving it more warmly because they don't have a preconceived notion of what I would be delivering, you see. Yes. But um, uh, of all the things I've ever done, it's my favourite thing. And it's the thing I'm most proud of. And, And I'm really grateful that I got to do it. And I had a great fun time making it. And, you know, there are kids who won't go to school until they've watched an episode in the morning. You know, the parents write to me. Um, and you know it is an innocent yeah. show having corrupted so many kids throughout work <laughs>
0: <laughs> over the years
1: you know having sent uh, you know bitty into the school playgrounds yes and uh and you destroyed know, destroyed kappa yeah, yeah destroyed kappa <laughs> and all of that you know it was it was my attempt to sort of uh uh you know no, no kids would come up to me and say they need therapy in 20 years time because they've seen Pompey do. because actually it's just
0: supposed to be a bit of fun, a bit of joy. Mm So this is Matt Lucas, ladies and gentlemen. What a gent. He's such such a lovely guy. And really, as you can hear, very, very sort of thoughtful and considered and quite unlike. I mean, obviously, my first exposure to him was as George Dawes. I wasn't expecting him to run around in a romper suit, but he does have on stage. He kind of activates uh, an element of his personality, which is far more wild and and kind of outgoing than than his actual uh, offstage self. But in many ways, it's a good thing because we, we really got a very a very thoughtful interview here. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation and was kind of knocked out. He actually <laughs> Matt arrived at my house uh, half an hour early, which is very unusual for a comedian. Uh, and I was round the corner. Uh, my flatmate let him in and texted me and said, Matt Lucas is in our house. And I'm like, right, keep him there. I'm running home from the calf. Um, so, uh, it was uh, a delight to, uh, to open my door and go, holy shit, Matt Lucas is in my house. Um, so thank you very much to Matt for coming along. Um, I really appreciated his time. Um, and we'll get right on with the interview in a second. I just come back from the LA podcast festival, which was so great. Uh, On so many levels, lots and lots of fun things happened. Really interesting to meet podcasters from America and from all over the world. uh, And some brilliant comics. I met Marin. Some of you, if you've joined the Facebook group, you'll have seen the the photo of me and Mark Marin. Uh, And I found him to be very, uh, I mean, he was very, very funny on stage. And the live episode that he did from LA Podfest, you should definitely seek out um he uh, He was uh, very, very funny. He got asked a couple of audience questions. He actually opened with a q and a that covered a lot of what I would ordinarily ask him during a concom but we 've got an agreement uh, penciled in that next time he comes to the u k and I know i 've just missed him this trip uh, he's he's up for the show, so that 's very exciting um also other podcasts I think you should check out ones that I particularly enjoyed there um, are include the dollop uh, with Dave anthony and Gareth Reynolds very very funny. Um, Dave reads uh, an American, an obscure American history story, uh, and Gareth reacts to it. Pat and Oswald was their guest on the uh, on the live one from LA Podfest. Uh, I also guested on Probably Science uh, with the UK's own Matt Kirshen, who is uh, a treacherous ex-Brit, who's now uh, now living and working a lot in LA, uh, and Andy Wood, who's again one of the organisers of LA Podfest. Um, so look out for that. That was really good. Uh, I turned up in LA and literally the next morning I was on Andy's ludicrous ranch recording that episode with Josie Long, who was also in town on holiday. So uh, that was a really fun episode. So look out for Probably Science. Um, other shows that I saw there, um, God, there were so many of them. Maybe let's, Listen, I've got I've got four more episodes, four episodes coming up that I recorded uh, at the Podfest. So why don't I go into more detail on those shows and the people on them when I bring you those episodes? I've got Dave Anthony. uh, I've got Jackie Cation from the Dork Forest. She is an absolute legend. She's so lovely. Just one of the warmest people and very, very funny comic. Uh, I've also got Jimmy Pardo, who has one of the oldest and most respected, most downloaded shows ever, really. It's been around for ages, for as long as there have been podcasts. Um, and uh, Todd Glass, who you will know, uh, you might remember his WTF uh, interview about three years ago when he came out of the closet uh, live. Well, not live. Yeah, I guess it was live. Live, live as, as as pods go. Um, and we talk about that, the ramifications of that. And we talk about, I mean, he's, he's a very, very funny man, a very funny comic. So there's loads to enjoy there. So I... I've got those four episodes. What should I do? What would you like me to do? Shall I do a Montreal thing where I just drop all four of them on, on four consecutive days? Should I eke them out? I've also got like 10 left over from Edinburgh. Uh, I've also got one that I recorded with Matt Kirshen just before Edinburgh, which I have currently lost. I can't in 140 episodes. I've never lost one. I just, I'm, I'm putting Kershen into the search box on my computer. It's just not coming up. It'll be somewhere. I'll definitely have it somewhere. It'll just, it'll be called like file 0042 or something and it'll take me some digging. Um, so don't worry, I will bring you that. I promise I'll find it. But my point is, 15 or 16 episodes in the can, What? how do you like to listen to them? Shall I just keep doing once a week or shall I just dump four out together or ten out together? What do I do? I'm expecting a baby in January, as many of you know, and um, I, I'm sort of thinking it would be good to like pre-record two months' worth and just get them all done so that I don't have to think about the podcast whilst I'm dealing with, uh, with mini Goldsmith. So uh, let me know. Let me know what you'd like to... when In what in what kind of format you'd like to hear them. I was talking uh, to comedian Finn Taylor about this recently. He's a big podcast fan. And you just never know how people like to engage with the show. I, I remember when Marin started doing three a week. That was when I first kind of went, Oh, cri, that's so many. I can't be a completist. And it sort of knocked me out of the orbit of, the, of his show for a little while. So we, we, in what order would you like to do it? Let me know. At ComComPod. And if you use the hashtag dripfeed... Or you can use the hashtag SPAF, <laughs> depending on whether you would like me to sort of apportion them out. Let's talk about specifically the four from LA. Shall I chuck them all out in one go? Uh, send me the hashtag #spath, or uh, or shall I just give you them? I, what I could do is like three Edinburgh ones, and then once a month I'll do an LA one. I don't want them. I don't think they're in danger of becoming you know, obsolete. They're sort of the, I try and, as you know, I I don't go for kind of PR on people's latest projects so much as where they're at and what it's all about as a sort of time capsule. So hashtag drip feed or hashtag SPATH to at ComComPod. And um, hello to everyone I met at the PodFest. I met such lovely, lovely, super podcast fans: Kim and Carlos, uh, Brendan and Vaughan from Canada, uh, Charlene and Helen, who were working on the festival. The organisers: Graham, Chris, David, and Andy. Thanks to you guys. Uh, a million thank yous to Matt Kirshen for looking after me and acting like uh, like the like the Windows paperclip. Who's like? Mm, looks like you're trying to network. Would you like to be introduced to everyone here? Um, great to see Jason John Whitehead and K. Trevor Wilson. Fabulous uh, comics both. Anastasia Travers and Jonathan and DJ, they put me up, so thank you, Anastasia. And uh, lots of love to Jill and Maddie and Holly as well. Uh, and who else did I meet? Um, Hanukkah, cra- that crazy Australian girl, and her friend Susanna. And um, who else? I mean, there's loads. I'll try and, I'll try and make a list and I'll, I'll say hi to more of you with the, with the LA shows. Also, I, I snuck into Universal Studios. I snuck in, there was a door from the street and I walked past it and it was like a fire exit. And I looked around and I thought, I'm going in there. And I went in and I was in the queue for the Jurassic Park ride. So I just stayed in it and went on it. And it turns out the Jurassic Park ride is even more exciting when you think you're going to be thrown out by a burly security guard any second. So I went on that, I went on Transformers 3D, and then I saw the Waterworld stunt spectacular. (laughs) You could not have prized the smile off my face with a chisel. It was so great. I'm not advocating sneaking into Universal Studios, but uh, merely advertising that it's great. And if you go to Los Angeles, you should totally go and pay $100 or whatever it is to get in. Um, I, I just, you know, the door was open. I don't think it's criminal. The door was open, guys. I've got one email to read you and then uh, a little blurb about donations. Then we're back into Matt Lucas. This is from a listener called Ben. So many of you send me emails. I I reply to all of them eventually. Um, There's sort of normally about a six-week waiting uh, list at the moment because I have to faff around with different email accounts and I'm almost never near the right computer. And I'm lazy and disorganised, but um, I don't often read them out. I, maybe, I will, maybe I'll start reading them out more. This is from a listener called Ben, and I just wanted to read this because I just thought he had such a lovely angle. He says, when I was much younger, I had a brief crack at stand-up and I had always nurtured a vague regret that I never pursued. We think we know where this is going, but do we? He says, the more I listen to you and your guests, the more confident I am that it wasn't for me. So I'm grateful for that. Thank you, Ben. It's lovely to know that I've, I've uh, given people a nudge. In one direction or another, normally the nudge people are talking about is that they've started doing comedy, but on this occasion, the fact that I stopped you, I helped you, or you stopped, and then I helped you uh, have an awareness that you had a lucky escape, well, that's even better, because it doesn't take up any more bloody gig space and opportunities for the rest of us thank you ben we're changing lives people donations are welcome if you'd like to support the show you can press the uh, the donate button at comedianscomedian.com. and remember i'm trying to do this i'm trying to uh, organize this in a in a bit i'm trying to do this in a slightly more organized way now that we have this brilliant new website courtesy of mr james homebrew hingley uh, each episode has its own web page. There's, uh, there's a Facebook discussions uh, blurb underneath it, so you can talk about them. A couple of people have started doing that. And it also means that you can post that page to your friends' uh, Facebook pages. You can you can tweet it at people. So if there's a particular episode, you can direct them straight to the website. Um, everyone I spoke to at the Podfest, basically everyone who represented a, a group or a hosting site or iTunes or whoever. Hello to Steve Wilson from iTunes. Uh, what a lovely man. Stab um, <laughs> very, very lovely guy. And um, everybody said, what you've got to do is point your audience directly to my site. That's the most efficient thing with iTunes. I'd probably believe it because that's where the subscribe button is. So there's that, but at the same time, I've got a shiny new website and I want you to go there. So if you are telling people about the show, pick where you think would be easiest and most convenient to send them. And let's just do that for now. If you'd like to donate, the PayPal button, uh, the PayPal link is from the donate button at comedianscomedian.com and you can send me £5, £10, £20. Someone recently sent me £50 for which you get eternal gratitude, probably a free T-shirt whilst I continued and not having sorted out the merch. But keep checking back at comedianscomedian.com and at comcompod and I will tell you as soon as the merch exists, if you'd like to join the Facebook group, you can do that. It's on Facebook. You can find it on Facebook. It's dead easy to find. And finally, oh, is that finally, I, you know, the rule with donations is the more I talk about them, the more of you support the show. So I don't, I mean, I don't want to bang on, but I sort of feel like I will reap the financial benefits if I talk about donations for another 30 seconds. But what can I say about them? The only reason I was able to go to L.A., and record these episodes and meet the people and start f- finding out more about podcasts, finding ways to make mine better. The only way I could do that was through your kind donations to particular donors in, in, uh, in particular to to special donors um, uh, Mr. Mike Sheldon, whose podcast bursary was kind enough to buy my flights over there, which was fantastic thank you mike that 's a, a great idea and uh, micro philanthropy you called it, and good for him um, and also Uh, a mystery donor who does not wish to be named who basically donated me enough to get the hotel um thank you thank you very much to you you know who you are and i really appreciate it um but uh yes the, the rest of you it's so important it's it's so useful to the show it's so useful to know that we're not doing adverts i can't guarantee that'll be the case forever all the americans were like dude get adverts and ask for donations i'm i'm holding off but we'll see how we do with that It just makes such a difference to the show when I know that you guys are supporting it financially as well as with your emails. And I know you're sharing it with people. I know you're going to the iTunes page and giving it a five-star review. That's really good because I have to say, when I was making decisions about what shows to see and things to download, I think it's a fair part of the process that you often, you go, hmm, what are the reviews like? And if something goes, oh, it's got a thousand five-star reviews, you go, I'll definitely give this a whirl. So those are important as well if you can't afford to donate. And there is no obligation. It's here for you. It's free. But if you like it, if you want to love it, if you want to tell me that you love it, you can do that with cold hard cash. That's all of that. Let's get back to the absolutely fascinating and lovely Matt Lucas. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I think with all of your work, it, for me, there's a fascinating dynamic between you the absurdist and you the like looking back at, I was reminding myself of some of George Dawes you know there's like best of George Dawes moments and and the absurdity of that character and the absurdity of the choices you were making compared to the fact that something like Little Britain became so incredibly popular and I felt like how are they I was watching some Little Britain as well and I was going how How did they get away with this? How did they get away with... Surely this should have been like a cult underground success, given how monstrous... Well, it's a different time.
1: It was a different time. And and talking about 10, 12 years ago, it was a different time. So, you know, comedy goes in waves and cycles, and everybody had been watching The Office, which was brilliant, and everybody was ready for, you know, the next two runners. They were ready for a bit more colour. And that's not taking anything away from The Office, which is... Clearly, the greatest sitcom. Uh, well, I would say alongside Forty Towers, those are the sure. two. The two, you know, Steptoe and Son. I mean, it's 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 as as great as anything's ever been. Um, but I think people after The Office, uh, people were everyone was trying to do The Office again. There was the Smoking Room and everything like yes, that. Yes, okay, you know? yeah. And before The Office had been The Royal Family, which I really adore. And um, you know, and so it was time for something that wasn't naturalistic. Sure. And was just but still had some truth in it. Yes. And and so um uh it was just time. It was just time. We but- got we got very lucky and, and I think the fact that we were on this new channel, BBC Three, to start with, um, and it was for younger people. So if we were doing, you know, the the, the, the teenager fancying his friend's grandmother or mm. or you know Bitty or, or those kind of ruder things they, it felt like there was a, a place for them on 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 BBC Three, and then the show was so successful on BBC Three. I guess that it was it was always going to be shown on BBC Two, but it actually moved after the first series to BBC One. Uh, I think it was after the first series, and um, uh, it was a different time. I mean, I mean, uh, people say, "Oh, can you do more? Come fly with me?" But I wonder now if we could, you know, because there was a period where people used to play black characters Mm. white people would play black characters in the sort of 60s and 70s and then sort of by the mid 80s that was it was not considered something that was acceptable anymore and then and then it sort of then it was we did it with little britain and i think people saw that we were not you know our conceit of the show was uh, two people playing everyone everyone in the world. tall yeah. short, fat, yeah. thin straight, gay male, female, black white, whatever you know that was our our conceit, and the same and come fly with me and and uh, but now you know the the big sea change started when with the Russell Brown Jonathan Ross thing, mm. and since then um, uh, everybody's very different and very sensitive about everything now. Um, uh, in terms of comedy, so we've gone, we've gone, and, and and you know, and so I think, I think if we went and did that now, we might be really misjudging the public mood.
0: i I found with the
1: with the kind of uh, blacking up issue. Or I don't the... call it. It's not blacking up. Blacking up is when you you know you're doing a minstrel show okay. and you're painting your face black. Yeah, and sort of. Whereas we. I, I, you know, I think a woman could have played Marjorie Dawes. You know, you could give that to Dawn French. Yeah, should have done it better than me. But I, when I when I play Marjorie Dawes, I try not to say, "Isn't it funny that a man is playing this role?" I don't think there's any added yes. value from the fact that a man is playing it. And when I'm playing Precious Little in Come Fly with Me, mm-hmm. I don't beli- or Targe. There is no comedy should be coming from the fact that it's a, a Caucasian performer playing the role. And that's yeah. why I don't call it blacking up. You know, I think as a creative person, you, you know... It, it, look, if, my, if, if our intentions, which... The intent is everything. And our intention was never to offend or I- belittle or generalise, we were just doing these one-off characters. I have to
0: say, in watching some of that stuff, I, I wasn't offended by it in the way that I know some people were. There was people would write things and blogs and but what don't, I, mean. I, don't, I, I just think you should make a distinction because it's not blacking up. No, I understand. I, I, I absolutely understand that.
1: I felt in watching it. Well, I don't. I don't think it is. Other people might say it is, but I, okay. don't, I don't think it is.
0: Well, I, I think you make a really good case for it. and Presumably, that was a case that had to be made at the time. Well, the thing to, is, it didn't have to be.
1: Made, it didn't have to be made at the time. That's the thing that everyone's forgetting. That, and I'm not talking about the 70s. I'm talking about about 2010 mm. when we did "Come Fly with Me." There was no. Oh my God! They're playing characters of other races. It was like, yeah, they that they're creative people. I mean. You know, David used to say, and I, you know, I, again, some people won't agree with this argument, but David used to say, well, you know, Dickens was of a certain class and would write about other classes. Shakespeare, even Mozart. Mm. You know, I mean, we, we, you know, as creative people, we have to be allowed to write about what we want to write about, mm. and you know, out in both, come fly with me, and. Um, Little Britain, you know, the aim was to write about Britain and Britain is multicultural. And our intention was never, ever to be, uh, you know, derogatory about somebody sure. on the grounds of their race. I, I felt it. I Although, felt it... I think maybe with Ting Tong, we slightly got that wrong. And I think Ting Tong was lazy. Uh, in Little Britain. And I, that's the one I, what, what's I the regret. Difference? What's the difference? Because I think it was, think it was too crude and too lazy. This is the type. Uh, yeah, Ladyboy, it was too obvious. Yeah. But I, But we didn't... That wasn't... You know, when we were writing it, we didn't think that, you know? You don't really know how you're going to perform it, how you're going to edit it, until you've done it, and you sure. look at it and go, oh, right. And I think that's the one that sticks out to me, like, we could have been smarter there. And... You know, but we were writing quickly. There was a big demand on us and, you know, there were paparazzi outside our houses and we'd be inside writing sketches. It was a bit of a nutty time. Mm. And so we were, we, you know, we were, we were just trying to be disciplined and write. And, and and we thought it would be fun to to do that. And we'd seen lots of documentaries that were on. It was in the culture. The idea of the of you know the Thai bride or the Russian yes. bride or something and it, and, it, and it felt like a fun did, thing. to did do. did you have
0: to be careful about who was the butt of the joke in those sketches um, did, you, did you have to make sure that you were only because I think the, the thing is yes you 're doing Britain and yes, Britain is multicultural, but as two white men, yeah. you are arguably in the most privileged group mm-hmm. I mean if you were straight you 'd be in the absolute you know if David was completely straight, then maybe you 'd be in both in the. Uh, I'm in, going to let that one fly. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, let's let that one fly. But that's, you're in the, um, you, 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 the argument could be made that you're in the, the, the top group, as it were. Yeah, yeah. So is it your, did you feel, is it your right? You're accused of
1: class tourism. Oh, okay. Which I didn't, is a concept I thought was probably manufactured for the article.
0: Um, <laughs> I haven't heard us. it before, but okay. Um, is it our well, the, the right? Well, I don't know.
1: Is it, is it the right of, uh, of anyone to write about anything they're not?
0: Mm.
1: I don't believe that we, you know, Vicky Pollard was a winner. I don't believe that we were being, I mean, you know, Little Britain, we, we, we were two middle class boys. Mm. And with Little Britain, you know, there were plenty of posh characters who were ridiculed, mm. you know, bitty. Mm. You know, there's plenty of that going on as well in Little Britain there's there's, there's all sorts so I think it was a bit but to be honest I think it was a scattergun approach actually yes
0: I Okay.
1: Don't, I don't think we had any particular agenda no other I than, don't, from, I other don't than think, to entertain I don't think you had anything. an
0: agenda and I have to say watching it I wasn't offended and I think that's because I trusted you I sort of felt like these and I, and I was trying to sort of pick it apart for myself and go why did I trust you to do that when like if someone told me Someone's playing a Thai character, and they've had sort of, you know, they're wearing prosthetics to look more Thai. Um, that I, my instinct would be, whoa, whoa! I'm fairly sure we're not allowed to do that anymore. But in watching it, I did feel like I trusted you, and I'm just wondering about where that trust comes from. I suppose I wasn't offended because I didn't think you were ridiculing Thai people. I don't imagine anyone got bullied no, I think as a were. result of your work. No you one, no one used those terms or catchphrases. To oppress anyone, or um, you know, did, did, did do you think girls ever got? No, I suppose Vicky Pollard was a winner, so you couldn't like if anyone ever said to anyone in the classroom, yeah, but no, but yeah, but then there's no real edge to it. It's not like a no. I know. Not I, a think, I think
1: some kids got, um, you know, would be told you're the only gay in the village at school who were gay and things like that. Yeah, which, which is obviously. Was never on our minds because for us it felt like a, a, a sort of um, it was slightly triumphant that because you know, Little Britain was a very queer show, mm. queer in the kind of you know sort of uh, uh, in in terms of you know Daffod was one of the first characters you would see on television who identified as gay, not mm. not just effeminate or homosexual. You know, he had. He was gay, and gay sex was discussed, and mm. and people knew that I, uh, the person who played him, was gay, and and so, um, it that felt like something you know actually coming more from the left than the right, but yeah. yes, I think some people were probably uh, yeah as a consequence, people would say, oh, you're the only gay in the village at school and stuff like that, and we 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 thought we were empowering ourselves and we never ever thought that it would we never thought about the negative effects and mm. i mean i suppose yeah and that and 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 i don't think we would make that show now you know we were a different age and a different time in our lives and it's a different time and i think people are much more attuned to the sensitivity of others and i think little britain is a weird mix of being sort of warmth and sociopathic yeah you, know? yeah, I think you have that's to fair. be you have to be sociopathic often to get comedy out of a situation I mean you know Pompidou is a warm inoffensive show completely whether you think it's funny or not it's not an offensive piece but he still misbehaves and treats Anita Dobson terribly when they go out Mm. for their dinner date so I mean there's always going to be a victim in comedy I guess Uh, but it's weird I I haven't massively thought much about Little Britain it's not something I watch it's not it's not the world I live in anymore. Mm. And, and so... Um, but there's lots of different readings, yeah. There's loads yeah. of different readings. And some people think it's, you know, satanic. And other... You know, they think it's a horrible show. And other people think it's it's warm.
0: I think and, it's warm. I think it's you warm know, because the, because the pair of you are warm.
1: Yeah, and, and some people think that and some people don't. And some people, you know... I, I think there's, you know, some people really got obsessed with the idea that, you know, I mean, David went to grammar school, not public school, and I went to a private school on a free place. So neither, neither of us grew up in rich homes at all. Mm. We were middle class, but neither of us, you know, grew up in, in wealthy homes. But some people got slightly hung up on... Like Owen is it Owen Jones, the, the writer, sort of absolutely, you know, was, was offended that we played working-class characters. Okay. Like Vicky Pollard, you know, coming from, you know, from a middle class perspective. But actually, like I say, we also played, you know, mm-hmm. posh characters and all different types.
0: Was there any sense of, you, you mentioned that quote that uh, David was uh, fond of saying about comedy being an attempt to control the laughter. Is there any reflection in your your portrayal of the people of Britain as grotesques, of all sorts of people of Britain as grotesques, is there an attempt there to control the outside world? Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure all of that I mean, you know, as much as
1: anything it's like yeah, you know, people at school calling me baldy or whatever well look, how look at the wigs I can wear now look how I can transform (laughs) myself, look you know, just on that on that first level, but but, but also it's like you look at the
0: it, is it the people at school that were calling you baldy? You're transforming yourself into those people and holding them up to ridicule. Yeah,
1: it's not. I mean, it's not as direct as that, and it's not as conscious as that. But yeah, I think it was just a time in our lives where we got power for the first time. You know, where we had the ears and eyes of people, where we had the stage, where we had, you know, where we were valid. Mm for a time Hmm. and it was exciting and in our lives it was important and you know um and it was yeah and i and i obviously yeah the show was grotesque it was a it was it was it was not a subtle piece of television but uh you know but then there, there were shocking characters but there were also you know you have the guy who goes into the shop uh you know the pirate memory game or you have the the, 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 the lousy hypnotist, or you have those mm. characters. And they're pretty gentle, really. I mean, they're mm. not, no one can be offended by that. So there were shocking moments, but there was also, you know, like Sebastian having a crush on the Prime Minister that was just, that's just farce, mm. really. Mm. There's nothing, you know, it's just uh, somebody, you know, turning around at the wrong moment and someone else has got their trousers down. So, yes. so, so and some of it's grotesque and some of it's just plain daft.
0: When you were writing, the very, when you on your own were writing the early stuff, when you were writing um, Sir Bernard, yeah. um, were you... And when you were writing George Dawes, Well, I didn't write George Doors. You didn't write George Dawes. No. Okay, okay. That's it. George that's George interesting. just whatever I fancied saying. Which really, oh, sorry, sorry. I mean, which the height of you, delusion... You created it, you improvised it yourself. It wasn't written for you when you said you didn't write it. Yeah, yeah. It's not just like imp- Rick and Bob wrote it and gave you a script. No,
1: Rick and Bob said, you know, they'd seen Sir Bernard and they said, we want you to wear a nappy... Yeah, and play the drums because they knew that I played the drums and I said well I want to wear a blue romper suit I don't want to sit there in a nappy mm-hmm. and it came and it was pink and I've always said well that's compromise for you <laughs> um, and of course you know as a deluded 20 year old or whatever I was 20, 21 I thought oh Vic and Bobby geniuses I'll just do what they do I'll just make it up <laughs> Of course, Vic and Bob weren't making it up at all. They were working hard, they were writing, yes. they were riffing, Yes, but fundamentally... They, was,
0: they were spending hours over whether it's an ostrich or an emu, they I'm were sure, really or, writing, yeah. or, or Yeah,
1: and, and whereas, you know, I just thought, oh, I'll, that's what they do, I, I should do that. And then, you know, and of course, some of the things I said were just just weird without being funny, and some of that ended up in the edit, and most of it ended up on the cutting room floor, and... So it was. It was. A, I had a, a very different comic voice yeah. in that show. It wasn't formed, and, and again, I think I was an arresting performer rather than a, an yes. interesting writer in that show. I think so, I was just saying anything. I was just like, it's a bit like when you put a video camera on a toddler, and they just they're so um, exhilarated by the notion that what they're saying is going to be you know watched by someone and recorded yes. that they just wave and pull silly faces <laughs> because they
0: you know, and I think. That's what George Dawes was. So when you were, were you literally like you had nothing in your head or, or did you you'd think of it in the five minutes coming up to when it was your yeah, moment? And there's
1: even like, there are even bits where uh, literally I open my mouth and whatever <laughs> comes out is whatever George said. I
0: think that's partly why it's so, I'm so pleased to hear that because to me that's like a brilliant example of... It's something amazingly vivid about comedy. That it's just blah, there it is. Yeah, it's just the funniest thing.
1: But again, you know, it's not something I think about much. Those shows, but if I did, I would think, why on earth didn't I spend a bit of time writing something? Yes. And actually, as the series went on, by series three and four, I did start prepping stuff, and I would write these comic songs. Yes, and I would say, oh, this week I want to fly on, <laughs> and I want to be in this outfit, or this week. So I would start to think a little bit. Oh well, there is some resources, and the budgets were always tiny on that show. Mm. So, um, but part of
0: the aesthetic was you could do it in it, you well could do slash it, badly exactly yeah. you could do
1: it but but actually um you know june nevin annie hardinge lisa cavalli green the, the you know the people who did the costume and the makeup on those shows were actually brilliantly resourceful and, and inventive and and were a big part of that but uh i i think i would have and should have been better as george doors but i think vic and bob you know used to like the idea that i was spontaneous and to be honest with you, very little of what I did was actually in the show. Um, it was just supposedly, you know, amusing that here I was, this adult baby. I remember the Observer when they reviewed the first episode, or previewed it in a very disparaging way, called me a baby fetishist, <laughs> and I remember thinking I didn't even know such a thing existed. <laughs> um, but I used to get letters from. Did you baby fetishists? I think it's called A, B, slash, D, L. Adult Baby Diaper Lover. What? A, B, slash, B, plus, slash, D, L. And it's a kind of sexual fetish. But it's not mine. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, So, so then it went on. And then in the later series, maybe I just think in the afternoon I was doing it, I think, oh, maybe I'll do a Northern accent for this bit. And maybe I'll do a Cockney there. And maybe I'll say something. And then I started to... Get a little bit better at it and thinking, well, actually, maybe write a line, mm. you know. But I often didn't, often I'd, you know, if you come to me four times in the show, two of them might be lines I wrote and two would, I'd make up. So that's, that's by the end.
0: To satisfy my personal curiosity, um, when you did, uh, though you mock me as you wallow in your effluent, do not forget that I'm a self made man and I could buy you, yeah. which I remember, I'd forgotten all about it until I rewatched it recently on YouTube, is it a sort of best off thing? And I remembered suddenly I had one of those, you know, zoom in, pan out or whatever it is, you know, zoom in, focus out moments of like, a, I remember crying with laughter at that when I was a teenager, that line, did you write or, I mean, or do you not I remember? I suspect I
1: would have went,
0: You weren't like that.
1: Oh, did I? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I would have then said, I know I'll, I probably would have been like, I'll do one where I'm squeezing my face. Okay. Uh. And tell them to, is the camera very close on me? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I probably would have said, just bring the camera close. And then I probably would have just, while they were bringing the camera close, that line would have come. Just to would me.
0: have thought of something.
1: Yeah. I, I don't think it's, I think it's a great, I mean, I, yeah, am <laughs> being caught? Co- it's just, it's just absurd, isn't it? Really? It is absurd,
0: but there's something, it, it's, you were, uh, by accident or I'm sure by design, you were framing it in such a way that it was just the right absurdity. For that moment. Well, I think I think. Thank you. I think when I worked
1: best, actually, was the the funniest George Doors bits were, for me were always at um, uh, the time is up when you hear this noise, yes, yes. and then I would just drop something in because yes. you knew something was coming, and it would just be, you know, have you ever been to a harvester before, <laughs> or I only want to help you, Roland, or I'd pick an, a phrase from TV gone by mm. or, or something, and and. Or just, just you know, what is it? There's a terrible thing I said, which is awful. And I, I actually, it's, people have quoted it to me. Is um, it's something like, "Jenny, take the echoes cake out of your ass. Our children must eat." <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yes, like, it is, yeah. It's just like, what is and that? Put it
1: back on the table. And put it back, back on the table. Yeah. Eat. But I was just saying. I remember saying, uh, Do you and look at me. I don't even like macaroons." <laughs> Which I just it allows you to imagine a scenario where somebody obviously ate someone's macaroons. Yes. So those sentences that uh, allow you to sort of imagine what else was going on. I remember g- having fun with a, a very angry, st- stammering uh, scouser. It was very annoyed because he'd ordered soup and they hadn't brought it. And Vic and Bob seemed to like that character. So I used to...
0: You know, there's there's, there's, there's 57 varieties and they couldn't even bring me one,
1: you know, and they seem to just enjoy that character and... um I don't know. It was just a stream of consciousness, pretty much.
0: That must have given you an amazing amount of agency at the time. As a guy who's twenty twenty one, whose comedy, yeah. whose some of the, your comedy heroes, Vic and Bob, have picked you up, put you in the show. Yeah, it
1: was the and, Lennon and, and McCartney for me. And you were just in, in,
0: improvising
1: yeah. and smashing it. It's like being, you know, an aspiring guitarist and Lennon and McCartney saying, you know, come and... Uh, you know, come and join our band. It how really did, you, was how it. did you
0: cope with that sort of psychologically? Were, on day one, were you thinking, oh my God, I've got to be great here?
1: Yeah. And and also, I, as a massive Vic and Bob fan, I had always had a response when watching Vic and Bob, which is I never really liked the other people in it because I just loved Vic and Bob so much. And I was always like, why are these other people trying to be funny? It's all about Vic and Bob. And I used to, used to think that when I used to watch Big Night Out, which is, which is ridiculous because when I you know, go back and watch it, yes. actually there's brilliant performances from Simon Day and yes. Charlie Higson and things like that. But at the time, I was such a Vic G- and Bob fan. G- I want yeah.
0: Vic and Bob more screen time. Yes, and I okay. Definitely,
1: and I felt that. And the first series of Shooting Stars was tough because people didn't know who I was and they weren't interested. And usually what would happen is I never ever had my own camera on shooting stars. So there's a, there's a limit to how many cameras there are in the studio. And so I never had them. So they would go, what are the scores? George doors. And then it, I would start drumming and there'd be a, there'd be a kind of, um, a big camera that would sort of in later series that would kind of like almost a camera up high that would like a bird would spin Mm -hmm. round and swoop down on me. But in the early series, it would just cut to me. And usually there was a minute while they were moving the camera changing it so all the comic all the energy had gone so by the time I gave the scores and I also was waiting for them to calculate scores um I wouldn't really get laughs and often um you know it it wasn't right and they just have to move on and sometimes I would do the scores and actually everything that you see on the show was just recorded at the very end of the recording as kind of drop-ins okay so that they could re-record them and change them and and uh, uh, and often these recordings would run long, mm-hmm. and so a that's the, the
0: worst bit of the night, yeah. isn't it? Half the audience have yeah. left, or they yeah, yeah. And a lot
1: of those George Dawes things that you see on television uh, audi- were recorded while audiences were walking out downstairs, like people just walking while I was doing them, and I was just having to focus on the camera and perform as if everyone was laughing, and then they would probably. Dub a laugh on or, or <laughs> take a laugh from somewhere else. There were whole shows where, if you watch them back, none of it was done with it in front of an audience. It was weird. It just I wasn't the time. And it really wasn't anyone's priority. I was the lowest paid person on the show, you know, which is fine, by the way. There was no reason why. Be, <laughs> yeah, I was in the baby
0: grove playing the drums. Yeah, yeah. There's no,
1: at the beginning, anyway. Sure. It was. There's no reason why I shouldn't be. But, um, uh, People used to people used to say to me, you know, I used to get the bus and they'd go. Why are you get the bus? You're on TV. I was like, well, I didn't. Say, I was like, I was like <laughs> you know, I was on 450 pounds an episode, and yes. so you'd do six episodes or eight episodes, and that, you know, so it was lovely to earn that money, but it mm. wasn't, you know, across a year, I still had to supplement it with stand-up income and stuff like that and voiceovers and mm. things. Yeah, mm.
0: I think the George Doors moments some of my favorite moments are they're kind of uh, representative of your your comedy superpower which i think is you you have a like a twinkle you you must know what i mean there's a there's a thing that you can do with your face that's just bing do, do you see what i mean you've yeah, done you it a couple of times in talking now when it's it, me, when something's made you laugh
1: it's me trying not to laugh cuz i'm a terrible corpser i'm terrible and you know, it used to be a real source of frustration to David Williams, who's really professional. And okay. I've only ever seen him corpse when we've been filming for TV once or twice. Okay. I would nervously laugh constantly. And um,
0: so it's usually me trying not to laugh. That, that moment, though, like, I mean, and, and obviously the, the Peanut song is kind of... Well, the
1: Peanuts song came about because I used to go to... Um, well, I still do... But go to Arsenal. But at Highbury, there would be these peanut sellers, and they looked like that often. (laughs) There was one with that long hair, and actually, I'd worn that wig for another TV show uh, with the same makeup artist, I think. And and but that I think we used that wig or had another one made in that style for Little Britain when I played Andy. Yes. Um, But um, they used to just shout peanuts, peanuts, and they used to walk up and down the terraces at Arsenal. And sell you these peanuts. And, and um, I, all I wanted to do was just shout peanuts. But the intention was never to laugh.
0: Yes. But no, no. no quite. It was it's so genuine. It's, it's, it's so just honest. I was laughing.
1: And I think, I think there's a funny bit at the end where I seem to have seem to have conquered it. And I'm just standing there <laughs> pausing. I seem to have conquered it. And I go for one last peanuts, but I can't make it. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, it was fun. But I wrote that music as well. I used to love writing the music for the shows. Okay and doing those comic songs, Baked yes. Potato. But my, my, my intention was never to laugh during that song. No. But I remember doing it, and there was just hysteria in the studio. Hysteria from <laughs> Vic and Bob. And I just remember thinking, you know, normally I'd go, let's do that again. Yeah. But I just remember thinking, oh, it is what it is. They'll use it or they won't. And I just Great. sat down. Great. And I never asked them to record it again after that. I just right, went, so that was sort
0: went, of your call Yeah. But, you created that.
1: Yeah, but David Williams, I remember, watched it and go, what a shame, I was... Really looking forward to seeing... No! Yeah, and I kind of went, well, probably me laughing and everyone laughing was probably funnier than whatever I was trying to do.
0: Sure. But do you you see, I mean, just to get back to my original point, that that kind of compressed or repressed laugh, rather. Yeah. That that little kind of twinkle. It's almost like that's your... You know, I don't know if you've ever done kind of mask work, you know, in a sort of theatre school kind of way, but there's an expression they have about, like, the mask flashing. When you get... If you've got a weird, wonky-shaped mask on, if you manage to put your body in just... In a way that's just so, it's called flashing, the mask kind of comes to life. Right. And it's almost... It's something similar, like, in, in clowning. I just... I feel like when we get that, we're just getting completely unadorned, giggly you, and we fall in love with it. And I'm just... I'm just wondering... I don't know, this isn't really a question. <laughs> I am just sort of take this and form them into a thing later. But that that sort of superpower, that must be... You, you know what I'm talking about. You know that state of, like, being able to twinkle.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, all I see is, like, oh, you amateur, time-wasting idiot when I see <laughs> myself doing it, which is really? just why it's the you best just... the best bit. Why are you just... I know I mean, it is. I don't mean
0: you corpsing. Right, I don't okay. mean you corpsing.
1: Just the twinkle. Just the twinkle. Um... Yeah, I, you know, it, hopefully you've, I've got it. In sometimes, you know, I would never, I would never. Um, you don't know, I, you know, I would never say that I have. But like, I it's can, for other people to say, isn't it? Sure. To to give you compliments, not sure. you, you don't sort of declare them yourself. But um, occasionally, I can look at something I've. I mean, you, you know, like most people, you know, um, uh, I think we all have body dysmorphism to some degree, and so. Or, or the healthy ones among us do. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I see myself, a photograph of myself, I'm almost always utterly mortified. I mean, I, I'm a very sedentary man, but my God, i I run past the mirror. <laughs> and, um, uh, and so, you know, it's sometimes easier to see a photo of yourself when you're disguised, you know, to see yourself on TV, which was always... Like I say, part of why I wanted to, mm. you know, f- felt I could I could be more myself if I wasn't having to be myself. But at the same time, I still struggle to watch my stuff back. And so I'm, I, and this is going to sound really grand, but I'm less familiar with m- some of my work than other people are, which sounds incredibly grand. Because not course, at all. No, 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 I, no, I've co-written it often and and was there for the filming of it. But yeah. certainly with things like Shooting Stars, those moments, they, they, they haven't massively stayed with me, to be honest no, with you. No, OK. Uh, the, not, not that, not that I'm, I'm not being disparaging about them. It's just... Uh, no,
0: I mean, it's understandable. It was, it was 20 years ago. It is 20 years ago. And you were planning out moments that you were just coming up with off the top of your it head. It really like, is May yeah.
1: 1995 that I first did Shooting Stars, so it really is 20 years ago. Yes. And it's, you know, it really is over 20 years since I first wrote with David Williams. So it does, it, you know... I'm getting old,
0: so I just I just want to stay in this territory for a minute of the idea of you, um, like you say, you 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 run past a mirror, and so there there is an element to which you're disguising yourself with the prosthetics, and it seemed to me that throughout uh, Little Britain and then Come Fly with Me, the prosthetics became more. Uh, just, just more so. I don't know if you're, you're, you could afford better stuff or you realised more of what was possible. I think all of that. We,
1: we could afford more. Um, we, they became more advanced and yeah. in some ways less cumbersome. Uh, sometimes they became cheaper than they had been. Uh, we'd also done... I mean, if you think that me and David did 26 episodes of a thing called Rock Profile. Yes, yes. Then we did, you know, if you include the American Thing 4 series of Little Britain and specials and... And, you know, by the time we're on Come Fly With Me, there's a lot of looks we've already done. Yes, So, okay. yeah, also, How many mustaches
0: are there? Yeah, yeah,
1: you know, so you're also thinking, you know, what, what else can I do? How else can I transform? Well, okay, well, I haven't done that and I haven't done this, so...
0: Mm. so,
1: so um, But I'm,
0: I'm, I'm just wondering it from the point of view of whether it's, whether some element of... Because I, I thought from what you said earlier on about, about your decision, and I think, was it your decision not to do Further Come Fly With Me? Is yeah that I wondered whether... My, my initial thought was perhaps that was because of, as, as you said earlier, about some sense of maybe it's a different time now and I don't really want to change.
1: Yeah, it was... It, to be honest, I, I've, sort of, I've never really spoken publicly. You know, I did not... I mean, David revealed that it was my decision, and, but it's something that I sort of... I, I, I wouldn't talk specifically about reasons for not sure. doing any more of that. But I will say that... Um, Uh, it is a different time now, um, in terms of, you know, playing other races and even, I don't know. I like, I could imagine now it, it being considered offensive, maybe to play women in a certain way. It could Mm -hmm. be, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I might find out with my next project, you know, whether that is, you know, whether it's allowed or not. I mean, if I wanted to do Taj again, would, would that be an issue? Do you think? I don't know. I don't know is the answer. Yes. What do you think?
0: Well, Targe I think... is one of the characters to, yeah, in... Yeah, I know, I've seen it, absolutely. Okay. I think Taj is very funny. I, and again, that's one of the ones for which I kind of... I suppose I, I was sat there thinking, I, I don't know about this, but by the end of the episode, I'd been laughing so much and I felt so warm about the show. The thing is, about... I think I'm the right guy to play that character. But out, maybe... Out, out of who?
1: Out of you and David? No, just... Out, out of, of the... everyone? Well, I don't know, am I?
0: I because don't know. I at think, the end of the day, it's your show, isn't it? And you're, yeah. you're the comedy expert yeah. doing the stuff. I think like, some, not...
1: some of my characters that I've played or that we've written or whatever, I think, oh, somebody else would do this better. But actually with that character, Taj, I think I'm the right guy to play. And what
0: we want to see, the audience, we want to see Matt and David giving us their view of the world. It's you that we want to see. And it would seem, perhaps it would be equally weird if it was... If there were, if it was just your sketch show and you never did any other ethnicities or or uh, even gender swaps within the show, it would be a little bit like this is our white male show. Do you know yes. what I mean? It would be exclusive in in that way. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's a complex issue.
1: But the thing is, you know, the the, the, the two things I would say is at the time we did Little Britain and a bit it was beginning to change around the time we did come fly with me but the time we did little britain there you know there wasn't a massive opposition to the idea of us playing other races there wasn't you know there were some newspaper columnists didn't like the tone of the show they thought it was misogynist or offensive or yeah. whatever even some of them thought it was homophobic but but
0: um, the, you I mean, know, how, how did you respond to that? When we you didn't. didn't. In, I mean, in, internally, how did you... You must have gone, like, just fuck thought, off, I'm gay, I can do what I want. No no, 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 I don't think that. I don't think that at
1: all, no. I think, um, you know, Michael Portillo was homosexual but still voted against equality for the age of consent. I mean, Ivan Masso is gay and support, you know, is a Tory. I mean, it's still, just being gay doesn't give you licence to just do anything, Um uh, no, I, 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 think we were at a point, and, and this is not to say that we're not open to criticism by any means, because actually, I think we, we were, and and it was fine. But I think we were at a point where it had sort of transcended being a comedy show and had become this sort of cultural talking point. And by then, it was just, you know, it was just um, the order of the day to talk about the show and find something yes, to I say. Can, yeah. Not that those points aren't valid. But you know some people thought this, some people thought that, and I never really thought it was our job to necessarily have an opinion on that. Our job was just to make the show mm. but um uh, at the time, there was not a massive opposition to us playing characters of of you know different ethnicity and and and, and you know the BBC is traditionally and remains quite a left wing yes. place you know yes. and Uh, we didn't go to ITV, you know. We didn't go and take, I mean, I mean, uh, the the massive pay packets elsewhere. You know, we stayed at the BBC, we believed in it, we believe in the Mm -hmm. license fee, we both still do, or certainly I do. And, and, uh, you know, and, and I'm happy being there. And, and, um, uh, there along the way, there was not a single, we never heard any body ever say i don't think you should do that it was never said to us no. so i think i'm not i'm just saying that you can sure decide that for what you want and the same with come fly with me there was never anybody who ever said oh, we really don't think you should play you should only play white cat you know we don't we, we, don't, we we're worried about this yes people worried about other things in what, the show. what what sorts of well those, there was i really think there's one sketch like i i've I've got a feeling it was uh, a Sebastian sketch uh, with the Prime Minister where there's some uh, cum on his tie. Mm. And, <laughs> and there was oh, a just long... enjoying
0: your serious expression. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and there was a long debate with John Plowman, who was our executive producer, who was employed by the BBC, mm. uh, so uh, um, about how much there should be and we thought there should be more, you know, and I was stopping it going, There's not enough, you can't see it. And then he was stopping the taping, No, sorry, there's too much. Okay. And, you know, and so and so those were the conversations. So there were, there was definitely yes, elements yes. of
0: control and you, you you weren't just being given
1: No, not at all. And mm-hmm. when we did Little Britain USA, um there were characters in, in the end of the first episode who were these two uh uh bodybuilders with enormous yes. muscles and and micro penises and um and it was david 's idea, and it was brilliant i think and and uh and Jay Hunt was concerned that it would be too you know offensive, so it we swapped that sketch out for a bubble sketch at the end mm. of the first episode because mm. we wanted to put that in the first episode in America it went out in episode one um, you know and that she's channel controller, and that 's her decision and um, I understood you know i was I was disappointed just because we Thought, oh, it's a big new character and set of characters, yes. it'd be yes. good to put put them in, but um, it wasn't like they got cut from the series, they were just put in another episode, and sure, um, you know, and it's her channel, she's the mm-hmm. controller, mm-hmm. and you know, um, and we were grateful to her to even be on the channel. I, I have no sense of entitlement, I never ever think, oh, they've got to commission me because of other things I've done so. You know, I don't... You know what I mean? Like, one tries to keep a sense of humility towards those people. Yes, Uh, Because, you know, being a channel controller, basically, like, most people hate you because you're having to say no to people all the time. So, you know, and they were always pretty fair with us, to be honest.
0: Coming out of those... Uh, those kind of characters and those uh, prosthetics or costumes or moustaches or what have you, and then coming into doing something like the Matt Lucas Awards mm. when you were being yourself. Was that um, was that something that was your... Did you originate that idea? Of, yeah, that idea. Did you, do you want to so, go, this is actually, this is me. I'm not just someone that does these. What that was about was I was doing that show on radio already. Um,
1: it, was, it just had a different name. And it was so much fun. And, and, and in a way, it was like the Alan Davis as yet untitled show, much yes. more so. It was really informal. Mm-hmm. It was almost entirely spontaneous. And it was a way of expressing a different side of myself. Um, the, 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 I knew that the next thing I was doing wasn't with David. So I didn't want to just go straight away and do something like.
0: Yes, stuff that's together. you mean, yes.
1: So I thought, let's try something else. And then it was just a a difficult situation because basically um, the BBC is a big corporation, right? And there's just loads of people working there because it's big. And to be honest, what happened was we did the show on radio and then Room 101 came back. And Room 101 used to have one guest, but it then came back to have three guests Mm. and Frank Skinner decides. And basically... It was like the two shows were kind of really similar. Okay, and um, yes, they were being negative about
0: things. You were being positive about things. Yeah, but so sometimes positive, of, sometimes so we was, were negative, yeah, and sure, sometimes sure, but suddenly sure. it
1: was like yeah. suddenly it was like oh, so they were in production and we were in pre-production, and so um, our producer went to a recording of Room One Hundred and One, uh, and so I so uh, I um, went to see. Danny Cohen and I said, "I think, accidentally, you've, you know, there's been a situation where two shows have been commissioned that are pretty similar yes. here." And he was like, "Oh," and then and then you know the penny dropped, and so he said, "Well, go and make your show, personalize your show, make okay. it more, you okay. know." Oh, so hence then, the house and your so mum. Then, yeah, so then it sort of got personalized, and it was uh, yeah. So then I brought my mum in, and I had mm. the idea of a flatmate. And I was throwing lots of things at it. And mm-hmm. th- I would say the first series did not work. And it was just a mess. And, you know, uh, and, and, and when it came to doing a second series, the BBC asked for one and I really wasn't sure because I was like, I don't, you know, I, I don't think it really worked. But they said, well, look, we'd love for you to do some more. You know, we believe in it. And so I went away and I th- just sat down with Ashley Blaker and we were just incredibly honest and brutal and just went... This works, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. This does, this doesn't, this does. And we were, we were just really blunt about it. And then uh, we had an, another executive on the show, Saurabh Kakar, and he was really, um, uh, you know, and we, I have to say, we didn't agree with everything he said, but he was really, really dedicated to the job and he really yes. cared about the show. And so occasionally we'd, you know, we'd have not arguments, but occasionally there'd be these big creative discussions and we'd have different opinions, but he was really invested in the show. And that, and that was great because often, you know, sometimes he would change our minds or sometimes we change his mind, Mm. but it all felt like we were all fighting the same battle. Yes. And so in the second series um, it was just simple things like I was already seated at the beginning rather than have me enter um, no, sorry. The guests were already seated, so that sped things up. Yes, it was thirty minutes, not thirty-five. Um, and uh, I changed. I, I made the final award this the hidden talent award every week. Which, yes, yes, which really worked Absolutely. and felt like a great climax to the show. I put in a jury mm-hmm. to decide the awards, which was fun and colourful, mm-hmm. and and we just and I have to say the second series of that show is great, and the BBC. Um, didn't feel that it had got enough viewers to um, let it go into a... Basically, okay. that 10.30 slot that it mm-hmm. was in is there to kind of grow and incubate shows. Okay. And so you're only going to have two series in that slot. I
0: see. And then
1: they need to free that slot up. So either you're done or they think... Or this you're is, moving out into a... Or you move into a, a 9.30, yeah, okay. something like that. And the BBC said, you know, we like the show creatively, but we don't feel that it would perform in the 9.30 slot and okay. so, and so um, uh, I said well look if you genuinely like it can I just do one last Christmas special to sort of say goodbye to it mm-hmm. and they said yeah why not we like mm-hmm. it enough we like it you know so why not um, and oddly enough I think it was my mistake in a way that tonally the show was actually very warm and I think audiences at 10.30 were expecting something less cosy. Yes, was. I see what you mean. And but I will say, like you know, and I am be very critical of myself. The first series of that is a mess, but the second series of it, I'm really proud of. I think the second series really just was was just works.
0: Was that was that the first time that you got to be you on stage, interacting with other comedians? Yeah, one of the first times on TV. I mean, rather than yeah, like...
1: one of the first times. Yeah, yeah, and I, I really en- I really enjoyed that, and I, and I, I like to you know listen as well as talk. Yes, though you wouldn't know that from
0: this podcast. <laughs> That's all right. I, I like I like listening. Um,
1: so w- what? But I think I think the die had already been cast in that the show had had you know people saying this is a ripoff of Room One Hundred and One, which I see. it was just unfortunate that it just that innocent mistake had happened that that you know Room One Hundred and One had been long dead and we were it's the idea of the three people competing and blah blah yes. blah. but but um, it was just I think it followed Room One Hundred and One and I think from the beginning people just said why is Matt Lucas a not doing characters and B why is he just doing well, them 101? this is
0: it is there like is there some i often think there's something for, for people with very big profile who are known for one particular thing people like the the audience feel like they're owed an explanation as to why yeah. there's a change and or the or same to... thing
1: happened with Pompidou where people yeah. have just been you know people who came to it without uh, a preconceived you know uh, expectation have, you know people who came to it with an open mind Generally enjoyed it more than people who were expecting something rude and different characters and things like
0: that. Yes. So, so the dynamic of you with other stand-ups, you being Matt, how was that to? Uh, how was that different from what you'd previously when you'd written? You'd written either alone or with David. I'd
1: mainly written with David, and that's the the first thing is obviously I, I was used to creating, you know, comedy with someone else. Yeah. So the idea of sort of sharing the stage is not like something I hope I don't believe I struggle with that. Sure. Um and I something I enjoy and I see the benefits of. Uh and some of those people on the show I already knew yeah were friends. Like Reese Thomas was one of my favourite guests we ever had on the Matt Lucas Awards. And I knew Rhys from when he was um work experience boy on shooting stars when he was sixteen. Okay. So and he's now in his thirties and I've sort of seen him grow and I know his wife and kids and um, so with Reese, we were just having a chat and it was just, there happened to be an audience there yeah, and it was lovely. Um, and other times, it, you know, obviously you feel like very much like you're working. It was the first time I'd won an earpiece. That's great.
0: I've done that once and it's incredibly disconcerting. I it's found just it distracting. Really, really problematic. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's a great skill, but you, you get better at it yeah. You get better at it. And like I say, you know, I, I think the second series is, is good of that show. And um, would have, I would have happily done more, but, um, in reality, uh, I, it, I would have it would have just delayed Pompidou if I had, and mm. Pompidou was the thing I wanted to do. I wanted to get back to doing scripted shows.
0: When you when you're writing the script for Pompidou, which mm. is obviously uh, wordless but action driven, I don't know what it is yeah, action driven yeah. yeah. script. I don't know how much of the noises you would write, or you know, you'd write an emotion. Would you to?
1: The scripts, I mean, you know, I, I'm not saying there'd be that many people wanting to read them, but I, I would love to just even put, put up a script online so people can see what they are, because yes. some people say there's no script, um, and it's just sort of... Uh, I'd it's, it's be fascinated to see well, this,
0: the shape of it, and, and also how you went about creating something like that, Because to me is almost a piece of, sort of physical theatre. Yeah. Would you? Was it created in a rehearsal room, or in a, a, on a laptop? Both. I mean... Primarily on the laptop, and then it would
1: grow and change. And you know, the writing process uh, I can tell you considers right through to the end of the edit Mm. um, with all of these things. Um, But uh, that show, I'm trying to think so. So, Ashley Blaker, who I'd worked with on the Matt Lucas Awards, and who had uh, produced the second series of Rock Profile, and who'd produced Little Britain on radio, and was in the year below me at school, so I've known him for a long time, and who's who's um, a very interesting guy because he's an extremely observant uh, Jewish guy mm. um, and one of the few people uh, to his degree of of um, religious observance who would still be uh, working in an industry like ours. Okay. So so um, he brings a great perspective to it. I, I, I love working with him. And uh, he and I were working together and Julian Dutton, who is a who had been a stand-up when I was a stand-up, um, had always written very clean material. And he came to us and said he wanted to do a, a like a silent sketch show. Mm. And I thought I should work with Julian because he's funny, but also he's clean. Mm. And um, people always having a go at me for being too rude, <laughs> not least my mum. So it started out as a silent sketch show and there were loads of characters and Pompidou was just one of them. Okay. And then it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And some episodes I wrote entirely on my own. Other episodes they drafted and I rewrote. And, also, and we had a couple of other writers. So all, all different kind of permutations. But um, those scripts are, they're prose. And I think they're probably like scripts for cartoons, really, because Doo is basically a live action yes. cartoon. Yes, They're very dense. They're very detailed. Uh, They're usually about 16 to 18 pages of dense
0: prose and
1: no stone is left unturned. Nothing happens without a reason. Yes. Nothing happens without a reason. I can't just say, you know, and also you cannot say, um, uh, you can't just say sort of, um, Pompidou wants to um, uh, turn the tap on. You know, you have to show that. You can't yes. just, you, you know, the audience can't read Pompidou's mind. Well, actually, sometimes they do because we have thought bubbles yes, and, and yeah, speech yeah. bubbles. But, but generally, you have to be really clear, and especially because it's a young audience. But um, I, do, I, I honestly think it's the work I'm most proud of. I think it's my best work and, 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 and I can see the flaws. Absolutely, I can see yes. the flaws. Um, will you make more of Pompidou? I'd like ways? to. I think what I will, I think I'll go and do something else first. And then I would love to come back to Pompidou at some point. But I'd I, I, um, I, I love to make more. I'd love to one day. But, but
0: I think it might be time to do something else first. If you're in a position then where you have had the kind of the, the George Dawes kind of experience of working with your heroes and then become someone who has achieved enormous success, massive, like proper household name, catchphrase, popularity... Um, and now you are, you live in LA and you're, uh, you presumably could never work again if you wanted to. Um, I would have to,
1: if I, you know, if I, if I decided to retire, I'd probably have to sell my house in order to do that. Okay. So, okay.
0: So, mate, this, this, so is, this is me doing a, a wider version yeah. of the person on the bus going, so why I are you could, the bus?
1: I probably could if I lived a very frugal,
0: Okay. You know, if I lived in
1: a really small sure. small flat and lived very frugally, then I okay. wouldn't have to
0: work. But then but you, I, I love working. When you, and you've got lots of options. You've got lots of options for, for you know, people will answer your phone calls and stuff. You know, some do, some enough- don't. It has,
1: it's, it's not as it was. I mean, it does change. You go through different um, phases, you know. Okay. And it's, you know, like I say, I took a decision to step back. So sure. So, um I don't automatically assume that, that a broadcaster will
0: buy a show just because I pitch it. No, absolutely not. Okay. Me. So my, my, the question I'm leading up to is, and this is something I ask uh, most of my guests, are you happy? Um, well, professionally, um, I would say I'm fulfilled.
1: But I think there's probably an overlap with those two. Um, and on a personal level, I think that's just something that's always shifting and you find happiness in different uh things and there are enough things for me to find happiness in so I'm not sitting here complaining but all those things are a process they're all something to work towards um there are still things I really want to do creatively and there are still things on a, a personal level I would love to achieve and and so am I happy um I'm working on that but I'm working on that you know I'm I'm, I'm
0: happy with the way I'm working on being happy does that make sense Yes, you mean that you're satisfied with your approach to finding ways to make yourself happy? I think I'm satisfied with the idea of being
1: satisfied with the idea of having an approach to the way of being happy as <laughs> I'm now being really just I'm just trying to see how long this, we can take this. This is all any
0: of us could hope yeah. for. No, yeah.
1: I I'm, I'm trying not to come over as too sort of Californian or kind of full of shit. But, um, this is, this is the place to be full of shit. No, <laughs> well, am I happy? No, I don't know a comedian who's happy, but I'm, I'm not, I, okay, I'm not necessarily happy, but I'm not miserable. Yes. I understand. Yeah. Okay. I don't want you to think you think I've got some monopoly on suffering, you know, no. I'm like, I've got my, I've got my, uh, uh, issues like everyone else to deal with my, you know, whatever. And, uh, like everyone else, I get on with it. I'm not going to sit and do a, you know, a Robbie Williams and constantly tell the world you know this is a problem or that is a problem I'm not about to write an autobiography moaning about everything and everyone you know I I just sort of you know I think some things in my life haven't been enjoyable and you know that a lot of those are on record but at the same time a lot of things in my life have been really Mm. enjoyable and I have been incredibly lucky and you know to have been able to do you know like to do the things I've done so uh, I'm not going to come on here and moan I'll moan when I leave, dear.
0: <laughs> when you're not in the room. I suppose all I'd really... I, the, a, a preoccupation of mine is talking to comics, talking to successful comics, people who do um, do the thing that they do, or we we do, myself to some smaller extent. Um, I I often think that we go into it because we want to whether it's control the laughter or whether it's we, we're looking for something. I think most people that I interview for this show tend to be either running away from something or running towards something. I mean, that's really the only states you can be in, I suppose. Um, but I always wonder, did it work? Do you know what I mean? Did the, did the, the you, if you, age 16, thinking I, I want some way to express myself, could have a conversation with you now, would you be able to say to that kid, we did it? No. I know you wanted me to say yes, didn't you? Well, I want to, because I like you, but I'm also happy for you to say the, your, your true feelings about it. No, no. I don't
1: think we did it. I think I've done some things. Some things like I go, oh, yeah, you did it. always wanted to be in a, a Western musical. I did too. you know, that's great. But no, no, I don't have that. I don't have that, I've, uh, no. In fact, the closest I've come to having it was actually with Pompey Do. which is weird, because it's probably the most malign thing I've ever done. <laughs> But uh, um,
0: was there, is there something quite positive about that? You've mentioned that a few times and I'm not sure if you're... You know, the, the fact that the critical reception wasn't brilliant for it and I'm not sure if you're, um, you're kind of just making clear that you're fine with that or if actually something, given that a lot of your other stuff has been hugely popular... No, there there I wouldn't know something?
1: what to do with good reviews because I've never had good reviews, very rarely. I've had a few, but Little Britain was was, after the first series, was absolutely obliterated by critics, come fly with me, Um, didn't have a single good review uh, in Britain. Um, Little Britain, USA, oddly enough, was reviewed very positively in the States, but very negatively here. Um, uh, When I did a play, I got mainly bad reviews. Um, God. So I'm
0: used to... And do you read them or do you just um, not engage with them? Not all of them.
1: Uh, Sometimes I read them after the event. Sometimes I read them at the time. Sometimes I don't read them. It just depends what mood I'm in. There's no hard and fast rule. Uh, sometimes I get shown them um, and it depends what my role in something is. Uh, If I just acted in something, but I didn't write it or direct it, I might be more inclined to read the reviews because I might feel a bit more shielded on a personal level. It just depends what my relationship is with the, with the project in hand. But um, the, the, you know, in, in, in the truth is I've had more bad reviews than good. Um, But also I know just purely objectively that that I've had far more success than I would have ever have hoped for or might have had. So and I'm still working, you know, mm. and I if, if I wanna, you know, I'm doing a film with Nicole Kidman later this year. So it's like it's all right, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I just I kinda go I kinda go like, yeah, it would be it would have been nicer to have had a good review and and I think um you know, sometimes you read the review and go, oh, completely right there. And, and mm. I, I agree with them completely. And other times you don't. But, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of... I think Peter Kay's probably had some, you know, snippy stuff written about him over the years. I think he's the funniest man in Britain. You know, head and shoulders above everyone else. I mean, he just oozes funniness in a Tommy Cooper way in and in a just a, in, a, in an utterly easy, natural Way, I mean, you know, Peter could make you a cup of tea and you'd be in tears on the floor laughing. And I know that critics have always been a bit sort of snipey towards him. Um, So it's all right. You know, it's okay. It's fine. And um, uh, no, I've been really lucky, to be honest thanks been really, really fucking lucky
0: I <laughs> I mean, really
1: I'm doing a film
0: lucky. I'm doing a film with Nicole Kidman anyway. yeah exactly it's alright it's alright yeah. <laughs> I've been
1: really fucking lucky like mm. ridiculously lucky uh, professionally and um, yeah that's alright thanks did I do it
0: you did it <laughs> So that was Matt. It was a very long middle section there. And uh, my, my bit, I mean, the little blurb bit in the middle that got in the way of my conversation with Matt Lucas. Thanks for bearing with me. I'm just feeling a bit giddy about, uh, about LA. I'm just absolutely full of beans at the minute. I highly recommend having a baby because being, being pregnant or having a pregnant partner, I'm not allowed to say we're pregnant, I get told off. Um, but that is really making my life sparkle. <laughs> I'm really happy. LA was great. I'm very happy in life, so apologies if I banged on rather too much in the middle of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to Matt Lucas. Thanks, Matt, for coming along. I really appreciate that, and uh, I hope we can do it again sometime and we'll get a catch-up in a few years, see how it's all going. Um, and thank you to Nathan Wood. Thank you, to, thank you in advance to all of the people that I am about to offer a large administrative challenge. If you're someone that would like to help me log the episodes... Um, I've really been slipping recently. You know, I'm always talking about Olivia Phipps doing, uh, being a Podblin and uh, doing Podmin for me. Um, I would like some more volunteers, if you're out there, to help me log the episodes. All you need to do is listen back to an episode. Uh, don't, don't start doing this until we've corresponded because there's a particular format. We basically just make a little Word document, uh, like a spreadsheet, rather, an XLS, a .XLS document, which just lets me see at a glance what's going on every two or three minutes of the show. I don't think it's that boring a process. I simply don't have time to do it, and I've got a backlog of ones that haven't been done. So you can email me info at comedianscomedian.com, and in the subject line, you could just write log legend, and, uh, and I'll get back to you. If you fancy giving me a hand with that, um, I would very much appreciate it. I've got a bunch of older episodes from the last year that I would like to keep a record of. That's, that's quite important for various secret and secretive projects. So please feel free to do that. Thank you for listening. Donate at comedianscomedian.com. Donate, donate, donate. Give me a cash. Give me your cash. Go on. It's for me. It's, it's sitting, burning a hole in your bank account, and it should be in my one where I will use it for arcane projects. Um, and that's it. You can tell I'm happy. I'm all over the place. I'll speak to you soon. Next week, let's check out... Yeah, remember, uh, tweet me, hashtag dripfeed or hashtag spaff, and let me know how you'd like to enjoy the LA podcast episodes. They're all... Uh, Podfest episodes. They're all very, very exciting and funny in a variety of different ways. So get in touch. I'll speak to you soon. Bye.